Good morning. I thank the Creator for bringing us together, my fellow tribal leaders, members of Congress, members of the administration, veterans of the U.S. Armed Forces, friends and partners gathered here and watching from home, thank you for joining us for the State of Indian Nations Address. We meet at a moment of progress and promise in Indian country, progress made possible by tribal self-determination. This administration and a growing number in Congress understand that when tribes forge their own paths, Indian country benefits and America benefits. Two days ago, President Obama delivered his final State of the Union address to talk about America's progress. He said, and I quote, but such progress is not inevitable. It is the result of choices we make together. This morning, I want to reflect on the progress that Indian country has made in the face of the challenges we have inherited and recognize the promise we can seize by strengthening the self-determination that tribes have always had. When our ancestors first welcomed European settlers to this continent, indigenous nations had formed a wide range of strong and sophisticated systems of governance. The Wampanoag, the Muscogee, the Anishinaabe, the Ottawa Alliance, they all existed before colonies and states and ultimately the United States. There were six tribal nations in the Iroquois Confederacy. This might sound familiar to you. Civilian representatives chosen to serve in a central government and separate military leadership. Benjamin Franklin said in so many words, if the six nations can do it, why can't the colonies? This indigenous framework became America's framework. And as the U.S. government took shape, it continued to recognize the self-determination and independence of tribal nations. The Constitution puts it plainly. It gives Congress the power, and I quote, to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. So that's with foreign nations, among states, and with Indian tribes. But our right to retain our powers of self-government is not just printed in the text of the Constitution. It has also been affirmed in laws, executive orders, and Supreme Court decisions. Thomas Jefferson wrote to President George Washington, and I quote, Indians have full and undivided independent sovereignty as long as they choose to keep it, and this might be forever. 
This history isn't taught in most schools, but it should be. Because the relationship with tribal governments was central to the early growth of the United States. Back then, tribal nations had a valuable resource. Land. The United States declared itself to have territorial authority over our lands. And through hundreds of treaties and other agreements, tribal lands were placed in trust by the United States government. That is how the United States became our trustee. It promised to protect and uphold our right to govern ourselves, to support the right and ability of tribal governments to care for their own people, and to help us manage our remaining lands and resources in our best interests. These are not mere agreements. These promises are treaties between nations. Under the Constitution, they are the supreme law of the land and always will be. That was the beginning of our relationship. It was based on respect and full of promise, just as it is today. But our relationship hasn't always been so promising we have inherited an anguished history that should not be ignored, but understood, so it will never be repeated again. Our history produced generations of trauma, poverty, and abuse that we are still fighting to undo. Tribes removed from their homelands, Families forced across the country, lands and resources stolen, despite the guarantees of treaties, laws, executive orders, and judicial decisions. Our rights, our needs, and our hopes for the future were denied or ignored. Many thought and many hoped that tribes would disappear. They thought our cultures would vanish. They believed our people would assimilate. The way of thinking is carved deeply into the dominant American psyche. It's carved into old, outdated federal policies. It's even carved into stone. Over the Senate entrance of the United States Capitol... There is a marble frieze, a massive sculpture called The Progress of Civilization. It begins with Indians beside a grave. In the middle is a pioneer, Lady Liberty and a soldier. It ends with waves of grain representing fertility and an anchor representing hope. Here's how the architect of the Capitol's official website describes it. Indian chief, Indian mother and child, and Indian grave represent the early days of America. That sculptor thought a grave represented 
the fate of tribal nations. It just goes to show he knew nothing of the resilience of native people. We have not disappeared, and we are not victims. We have persevered. We are survivors, and we are growing stronger every day. We are thriving 21st century governments built on self-determination. Yes, our ancestors were central to America's early days, but we are also central to America's present and vital to its future. Progress is not built on the graves of our people. It is built with our people and by our people. I would like to take a moment to recognize those great leaders of the past from Indian country. Ernie Stevens Sr., Wilma Mankiller, Wendell Chino, Joe Delacruz, and so many others. Through their efforts, tribal self-determination returned to the forefront of federal policy. In 1970, President Nixon addressed a joint session of Congress and said, I quote, on virtually every scale of measurement, employment, income, education, health, the condition of the Indian people ranks at the bottom. He goes on to say, the the time has come to break decisively with the past and create the conditions for a new era in which the Indian future is determined by Indian acts and Indian decisions. In 1970, President Nixon urged Congress to empower tribal governments to do what is best for tribal citizens. And 46 years later, we have proven the wisdom of his conviction. The Pueblo of Isleta. It now runs its local elementary school for the first time in over a century, taking it over from the federal government. In those hallways and classrooms, Isleta students are now immersed in their language, their values, and their traditions. Likewise, the confederated tribes of Umatilla have reshaped their child welfare system to strengthen families. Now, today, 70% more Umatilla children are thriving with their families in their homes and their communities. The Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes developed new skills training, job placement, and professional mentoring programs. The impact? They cut their unemployment rate in half. As one caseworker put it, when adults are productive in a family, it makes for happy children. And the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa 
have an assisted living residence where an elder can lead an independent life in the comfort of her or his own community and culture. This is what we see after 46 years of progress under tribal self-determination. Slowly but surely, America is relearning who we are and what we are capable of. Outside of government, a tide of respect is building. Leading companies are engaging with us, partnering with us, and standing with us. Adidas. They recently announced it would offer funding and design talent to help schools choose new, more respectful mascots for their athletic teams. Already today, nearly a hundred schools have reached out to Adidas. Meanwhile, the state of California banned the R word, the name of the Washington football team. Yes. They banned the R word in public schools. And in my state, the Seattle Times did the same in its newspaper, refusing to print that racist name again. I urge other states and companies to join them as they see us for who we truly are. Today, we are growing our economies preparing students to succeed, delivering high-quality health care, and solving the unique challenges facing tribal communities. Today, we are proving that our governments are far more effective than other governments in meeting the needs of our people. That was the promise our elders dreamed of back in 1970, and that was the vision that President Nixon saw back in 1970. But if we want to make self-determination the prevailing federal policy in the 21st century, we have much more work to do. We need to modernize the trust relationship. We need to replace antiquated laws and regulations and policies that trust and empower tribes to govern. We need a relationship based not on paternalism and control, but on deference and support. A partnership where tribes continue to meet their own challenges and chart their own path forward. It's not enough to have a seat at the table. It's not enough to be involved in decisions We need policies and processes that recognize tribes as true partners in governing. Because at the end of the day, Indian country is the source of solutions that work for Indian country. During this administration, we have worked on a bipartisan basis to fix some of the things that were broken built on what works and create what is needed. 
There are countless examples. We fought for governmental parity by passing the Tribal General Welfare Exclusion Act unanimously so that when we receive a basic tribal governmental service, it's not taxed as extra income. We fought for health security by passing the Indian Health Care Improvement Act so we could strengthen preventative care and modernize tribal care networks. We fought to restore our jurisdiction by passing the Tribal Law and Order Act so tribes can more effectively investigate crimes, prosecute criminals, and strengthen public safety. We fought to protect Native women by strengthening the Violence Against Women Act, empowering tribes to prosecute any lawbreaker, Native or not, who, committed, who commits domestic violence on tribal lands. We fought to empower tribal control over tribal lands by partnering with the Department of the Interior to amend leasing and right-of-way regulations. I could go on and on. While there are many legal and ethical reasons to strengthen tribal self-determination, there is also a practical reason. It works. President Obama has certainly embraced this concept as President Nixon did. We expect the next president and the next Congress to work with us, to build on this progress. In this election year, I invite any candidate of any party, come to Indian country, see for yourself, tribal nations are building brighter futures for their citizens and all Americans. While Indian country is still recovering from generations of damaging policies, more than four decades of tribal self-determination have launched our resurgence. Today, tribal nations are innovating and leading the way. With the 2016 election season well underway, the national dialogue is taking shape. I want to touch on four important areas where tribes are contributing to that dialogue. Community security, economic equality, education, health and wellness, and climate change. These are challenges that affect every American, native and non-native. There are areas where tribal nations have made significant progress and our entire nation can as well. Let's start with community security. The Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians. They created a robust judicial system that incorporates traditional Choctaw values, preserving the peace and respecting personal dignity. Their system features special teen and healing to wellness courts that are strengthening their community. It's one of many examples from decades of tribal government success in building capable systems to enforce our laws and administer justice. America can build on this progress by 
providing better alternatives to incarceration, well-grounded rehabilitation, and most of all, effective crime prevention. Together, let's create restorative justice centers based on Native concepts and Native values. The recent decision by the Justice Department to accept jurisdiction of the Malax Ojibwe under the Tribal Law and Order Act is a great step toward improving public safety and addressing the problems caused by Public Law 280. But our job is still not done. There are so many more reservations that need this federal help with law enforcement, particularly in California. We call for reauthorization of the Tribal Law and Order Act. Congress should fully fund important juvenile justice programs, efforts to collect accurate and relevant data, and preventative service for all families in Indian Country. Today, Native and women and children, they experience the highest rates of violence in the country. Tribes need full authority to protect them from harm caused by non-Indians on tribal lands. Across America, states and, states and territories receive direct assistance from the Crime Victims Fund. And it's time that tribes do too. <laughs> Working together, we can secure our communities. Second, let's talk about economic equality. Tribes are building more equitable and more robust economies. Take the tribes in the Idaho region. Five tribal nations are among the tribe's top employers. They boost Idaho's economy by more than $650 million a year, supporting twice as many workers as they employ directly. It goes to show that when tribes are empowered to govern, our communities and our neighbors are safer, healthier, and more prosperous. America can build on this progress by empowering tribal governments to eliminate the gaps that persist in income, jobs, and education. Tribes should be able to collect taxes without placing extra burdens on local businesses. We call on the Department of Interior to amend the Indian Trader Regulations eliminate dual taxation in Indian country and empower tribes to invest in the infrastructure and services that make economic development possible. In addition, tribes must be able to issue tax-exempt bonds. They are an indispensable tool that every other modern government uses to seed private sector growth. 
tribal governments must be treated as the same as state and local governments on labor issues. And we must ensure that all tribes can restore their local land bases. And I want to thank this administration for partnering with us to achieve this goal. Third, tribes are looking after the education, health, and wellness of their communities. Education is a promise made in exchange for our land. We have more work to do. To ensure that tribal governments are directing the education of their youth, especially on schools located on tribal lands, we can do this by incorporating tribal culture and language into the classroom, by acknowledging the role of tribal education departments in Indian education, and by ensuring that students have adequate, safe, and modernized schools and environments in which to learn and thrive. By working together, we can give every child a chance to succeed so that students like Dakota Brown can achieve their hopes and dreams. Wellness is also critical to achievement. Look at the Chickasaw Nation's Medical Center's cutting-edge Diabetes Care Center. Its holistic health and preventative care programs are providing a model for clinics everywhere. America can build on this progress with investments that strengthen the physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional health of every tribal community. For more than a decade, Nike's N7 Fund and others have partnered with us to support fitness programs. But more can be done. We are asking the federal government to permanently authorize the special diabetes program for Indians so that tribal communities can continue to combat this disease. At home, my own Swinomish tribe, very proud that we recently became the first tribe in the lower 48 to bring oral health care to our people through dental therapists. We commend Alaska Natives for leading the way, for being the first to do this, and I am confident that others will follow our lead. Broadly speaking, America needs to do more of what works and less of what doesn't work. When funding through the Indian Health Service hits delays, it creates uncertainty for clinics, hospitals, staff, and patients. We call on Congress to provide advanced appropriations for the Indian Health Service. We also call on both the administration and Congress to relieve our communities of the financial burden they will bear under the Affordable Care Act's employer mandate. 
This simple fix will go a long way to secure the health of our citizens and make sure our kids grow up in healthy communities. Last, but certainly not least, is the threat of global climate change, which threatens not only food security, but all humanity. Some deny this threat even exists, but Indian country is on the front lines. We have seen it. Our tribal scientists and elders are documenting rising tides in the Arctic, altered migration patterns, unpredictable harvest times, and the worst droughts in recorded history. Native scientists and policymakers are working to address these challenges and prevent even worse calamities. Nations from uh, Blue Blue Lake Rancheria and the St. Regis Mohawk tribe are crafting ambitious plans to limit their carbon footprint and reverse the impacts of climate change on their lands. And in Paris recently, tribal leaders were proud to take their rightful place among leaders of nations. They shared their scholarship and their indigenous knowledge and helped the world reach a historic agreement. We ask for the establishment of a permanent climate adaptation task force in collaboration with tribal leaders. In discussions about how to mitigate the effects of climate change, manage natural resources, and protect our sacred places, Native people stand ready to serve as experts and partners. Together, we can combat climate change. If we consider all we're achieving today, at every level of government, more and more leaders are seeing that the path to a brighter future for America runs through Indian country. I can only imagine how much further we'll go as the next class of American legislators and policymakers further strengthen tribal self-determination. But let's be honest. Progress will not continue on its own. We must drive it in the halls of our governments, in our relationships with our communities, and in voting booths across the country. This is how we honor those who came before us and those who will follow us. You know, I think about my my father who is 82 years old. His Indian name is Kelkaltsut, Kelkaltsut. His great-grandfather was also named Kelkaltsut. And he signed the Point Elliot Treaty for our tribe. When you think about it, and when I think about my grandchildren, the seventh generation since the signing of that treaty by Kalkaltsut, my father is 82. He's the great-grandfather to my grandchildren. 
His great-grandfather signed that treaty in 1855. When you put it in perspective, that's not that long ago. So much has changed in that time. This is the question before us today. Where do we want Indian country to be in another seven generations? How about 70 generations? What progress will we make to help them achieve their promise? It is up to us, all of us, just as it always has been. Thank you for your time. May the Creator bless you, bless the United States of America, and bless Indian country. Da'adubj. Thank you. Thank you, President Clasby, for that powerful speech. We've invited a member of Congress to provide a congressional response to the state of Indian nations. This year, we are very pleased to be joined by Congresswoman Betty McCollum, co-chair of the Congressional Native American Caucus. Congresswoman McCollum has a distinguished career in public service, beginning in education. She is serving her eighth term representing the families of Minnesota's Fourth District. During her career in the House of Representatives, she's been a strong supporter of tribal sovereignty in areas of education, health care, and appropriations. Please join me in welcoming Congresswoman Betty McCollum. Thank you. And I am truly delighted to be here today among those I count as friends and allies. President Cladisby, Jackie Pata, I mean, you are valued partners. And to the board of NCAI, we enjoy, I enjoy my office, enjoys working with you. Um, you're tremendous, uh, the staff and the board. You're a resource for members of Congress and our work with tribal leaders. And I uh, know that there are several members of Congress who are with us uh, today and with us in spirit as well as staff. And um, Mr. President, we stand ready to work with you. As I said, I'm honored to be standing here today reflecting on the message you have just shared with us. I could not agree with you more that we are in a moment of incredible promise and progress in Indian country. When you speak of a new era of self-determination, I hear the phrase not just in federal policy, but also the right of tribal leaders to guide your nations in a true partnership with our shared American nation. I really do believe that our government-to-government relationship is moving towards that goal. We are making some real progress on the federal side of that partnership. And I am fortunate to serve in two roles, where I can do my part to set new standards for partnership and investment in Indian country. As the co-chairs of the Congressional Native American Caucus, my Republican co-chair, Tom Cole, and I are building a broad base of support in Congress for Indian country. My second role is in serving as the lead Democratic member on the House Interior Appropriations Committee. And I am proud to say that my chairman, Ken Calvert, and I work very closely together on Native issues. 
we have been moving to increase funding for our trust and treaty obligations, building on the groundwork that was laid by our former chairman, including Mike Simpson and Jim Moran. We have worked on a bipartisan basis, along with President Obama, to substantially increase funding for the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the Indian Health Service. And we've done that even as budget caps have forced flat funding across many other federal agencies. And our investments in the new Tihawe initiative will strengthen support for Native children and families. Greater funding for tribal courts will help your nations build the capacity for the new authority given under the Violence Against Women Act to seek justice for victims in your communities. After more than a decade, we have finally completed the 2004 list of Bureau of Indian Education schools in desperate need of replacement. The fact that thousand in, thousands of American Indian children are forced to learn in substandards B and BIE school buildings is unacceptable. So we're working on a plan to turn BIE school facilities into safe, modern, welcoming schools that your child and every American child deserves. That move supports both tribal self-governance and federal obligations to provide direct services to tribal nations. BIA and IHS contract support costs are now fully funded and they're in their own separate accounts. Contract support costs are key to tribal self-governance and they will no longer have to compete for funding with health care, education, and other treaty obligations. These investments are important successes, and they are only possible because of your voices as tribal leaders and as members of your nations and as advocates for your people to help hold the federal partners accountable. It is your stories, your testimony, and your tireless advocacy for Indian country. They are the driving forces behind these achievements. We have made tremendous strides forward, and it is important to celebrate our progress. But we know there is much more we need to do together. There continues to be health and education and economic inequalities that the federal government is not, not adequately addressing. In many cases, current law fails to fully recognize the tribal sovereignty of governments. And furthermore, you know all too well there continues to be active attacks on Indian sovereignty across issues like hunting and fishing rights, land to trust, and the Indian Child Welfare Act. And that's why members of Congress still need to continue to hear from you about your tribal issues. Your energy, your commitment, a focused agenda for the coming year, we can work together to continue to make progress. There are several important steps we can take together to carry this momentum of progress forward. First, every member of Congress needs to be engaged because we all vote on tribal issues. We need to make sure members of Congress have the knowledge of Native issues, and your direct outreach is vitally important. There are 567 federally recognized tribal nations there are 535 members of Congress. So this year, adopt a member. Every tribe, pick one. 
Share the voices of your stories of your people. Educate their staff. Invite them out to visit your nations. Because I can tell you from personal experience, there is just no substitute for visiting a tribal community. Hearing directly from Native youth and families, sitting down with the tribal council. When I traveled in Navajo and Hopi nations with my Republican colleagues, we saw the condition of the schools in Indian country firsthand. And by the end of that trip, we had brainstormed a half a dozen new ways to fund BIE schools because it was clear to us just how urgent the need was. The more members of Congress know their constituents, the better they serve them. The more members of Congress know your communities, the better they will serve your communities. Think of it. It was a visit by candidate Obama to the Crow Nation that launched a relationship with Indian country that has been the strongest and the most productive in our nation's history. Just consider all the achievements under the Obama administration that started with that one visit. It was President Obama who signed into law the General Welfare Exclusion Act for tribal governments, the Indian Health Care Improvement Act, the Tribal Law and Order Act, the SAVE Native American Women Provisions and the Violence Against Women Reauthorization. That's the power of welcoming an elected official to your community and then educating them on your issues. The second step we can take is to strengthen the connection and mentorship of women leaders in your nations with women in Congress. The more I see strong Native American women taking on leadership roles, the more exciting it is for me. To be standing next to my sisters, to see my sisters standing up and sharing their unique perspectives and leading their communities with their brothers. Because we know that when women succeed, America succeeds. And we know that when Native women lead, tribal nations succeed. Third, we must keep our focus on engaging Native youth and investing in their future. And that's why Generation Indigenous is so important. The youth of Indian Country are some of the most inspiring advocates I have met. When Native students visited our committee to talk to us about the condition of their schools, this was some of the most powerful testimony we heard. Those students spoke of their peers, their families, their communities. They spoke with a passion that affected every member in that room. Even while facing harsh circumstances in their lives today, these youth also communicated an amazing message of what their lives and their community could become. And this is the generation that will carry America forward. So I want to support them to engage their elected officials, both tribally and federally, and ask us the tough questions. What are we doing to improve the safety of their families and their communities? What is our plan to create good schools, affordable higher education, and job opportunities for them? And how are we going to help their generation face the challenges of climate change that they will inherit? Collectively, Leaders in Indian country and Congress must be held accountable and responsible for answering those questions. Today, I stand here as a member of Congress, and I'm asking you to hold us accountable. Hold us accountable for honoring your rights as a sovereign nation, for meeting our moral 
and legal trust obligations. For self-determination to be successful, it must be rooted in respect. Respect from nation to nation, respect from federal official to elected tribal officials, and respect among neighbors. Respect for your cultures, your values, your traditions, and for your solutions for your communities. Next year, you need a Congress and a president who are committed to the real values of respect and partnership. You can count on me to be committed to that goal because I want this country to be successful. As President Cladisby said, it's just not about the next seven generations, but for the next 70. If we instill in our children a public discourse that values of respect and collaboration, the state of your nations, the state of our nation, the United States of America, will be strong for generations to come. McWitch.